up what's up everybody I try to come in with with some energy and 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 some heat and some fire but I just don't got it today and um if you're a sports fan you know why in the NBA the world was rocked today when one of the biggest icons and greatest athletes in history died tragically at the age of 41 is there trouble in paradise with the Los Angeles Clippers how will the NBA All-Star Weekend commemorate a gone-too-soon legend? In the NFL, the Super Bowl is set. The 49ers and Chiefs will face off in Miami for the Lombardi. And another legend in that sport hangs up the cleats. So all that, and honestly, my heart isn't in it to do too much more. So sit back, relax, and listen up to this much more somber episode 53 of The Format. So we've got our Super Bowl set, we've seen an all-timer step aside this week, and the quarterback in Green Bay is not what they've been telling us all these years. Okay, let's start with this. Patrick Mahomes is a beast. He's an absolute monster. We know that. And he's probably the best quarterback playing right now. Maybe you could make the Russell Wilson argument. Um, if you ask me, Pat Mahomes looks a lot like what John Elway would be today if he played with those weapons under these rules. He's mobile. He's got a cannon for an arm. He can make all the throws from the pocket or extend the plays either by scrambling for yardage or making throws on the run. And now he's one game away from the ultimate prize in an NFL season and the thing that puts you among the game's immortals. Hall of Famers like Dan Marino and Jim Kelly, they couldn't win a Super Bowl. Fran Tarkenton too. Patrick Mahomes has all-time great potential and he's already on the road to that level. But a Super Bowl MVP? Let's be real here. If the Chiefs win, it would take God himself suiting up in red for anybody but Pat Mahomes to win that MVP. The other side of the Chiefs equation is head coach Andy Reid. One of the best head coaches in history, no question about it. One of the game's most innovative offensive minds. But guess what? He doesn't have a championship. He's going to get another shot though. And this is going to be his second chance at a Super Bowl trophy. Kansas City is the track team in pads that could put up 21 points in the blink of an eye. We saw it against Houston. They're everything the NFL wants modern football to be. Not particularly physical, wide open passing game, lots of points. Meanwhile, their opponent, the San Francisco 49ers, are the exact opposite. They are physical, they are hard hitting, they are dominating defense. They are strong running game. They don't throw the ball all over the yard. Kyle Shanahan is one of the best young coaches in the NFL. But he's not doing it like Sean McVay did it. Don't get me wrong, Sean McVay is a great coach in his own right. But his offensive scheme is what the NFL likes. Just like the Chiefs, fast and flashy, a lot of points, a lot of passing. 
But what people didn't realize is that it was all predicated on what? The run game. And when Gurley couldn't consistently run the ball the way he used to, a lot of that high-flying offense went away. Kyle Shanahan makes no bones about it, and he doesn't try to hide it. His offense is run first, power, run, game, and everything else is built off of that. Kind of sounds a lot like a guy you've been listening to has been saying for a long time. What's the formula for winning in football games? Say it with me. Stop the run, run the ball. See eight passing attempts in the National Football Conference title game for Jimmy Garoppolo. The 49ers basically want to be a professional version of the Wisconsin Badgers. They want to run it down your throat and pound it until you stop them. And very rarely have they been forced to pass. And with the dominating defense that can stop the run, stop the pass, and get after the quarterback with that front four, they can control just about every game they're in. This is a classic matchup of power versus finesse. Side note, if I'm not mistaken here, the 49ers win this Super Bowl, that'll be the first father and son pair to win Super Bowl titles. Obviously, Mike Shanahan with the Denver Broncos and then Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers. And that would make for a pretty good story, you know, if you're a sports writer. Um, So everyone loves a good story, right? Anyway, switching gears. Late last week, Giants quarterback Eli Manning called it a career after 16 seasons. The big question now is, and realistically, I don't know why it's even a question, is whether or not Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. And this is very simple if you ask me. Eli Manning has better numbers and more Super Bowls than a lot of the quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame. He's a two-time Super Bowl MVP. He's seventh in passing yards, seventh in touchdowns. And here's another interesting thing. He has less career interceptions than Fran Tarkenton, Johnny Unitas, Brett Favre, Dan Marino, Big Brother Peyton Manning, and every one of them is in the Hall of Fame. Joe Namath has almost 50 less touchdowns than interceptions, and he's in the Hall of Fame. If I'm voting, I'm not just looking at the career and everything that player's done. I'm also looking at what other players that his position did in their careers relative to their era. Eli might not have had the greatest career, but he had a career most NFL quarterbacks would kill for. Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. And uh, if you want, you can go back. I can't remember what episode it was, but I actually did a Bruce breakdown, really diving into the numbers and showing why Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. It's a ridiculous argument to say that he's not. I guess, you know, they're going to point at the 117 and 117 regular season record, but For all of the things that I mentioned, that should put him in the Hall of Fame. Plain and simple. So, Aaron Rodgers. Hmm. All right. Are we at a point now where we can stop all this worship of A.A. Ron Rodgers? You done messed up, A.A. Ron! At what point are we going to stop blaming his situation for him not maximizing his talent and winning more? Aaron Rodgers is now 1-3 in NFC title games with 6 touchdowns to 7 interceptions. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought that this whole thing about Aaron Rodgers, one of his strongest uh, points was his out-of-this-world touchdown-to-interception ratio. So how is it that in some of the biggest games he's not showing up and he's giving the ball away more? 
for being the supposed greatest thrower of the football, blah, 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 blah. Why does he only have one Super Bowl? Why does he only have one Super Bowl appearance? I get it. It's a team game. But if he's as transcendent as a lot of people want to make him out to be, somebody tell me, where are the results? At some point, we've got to start holding this guy accountable for not lifting his team over the top more. Green Bay dominated that division for most of the past decade, but does not have a whole lot to show for it. You know who else is like that? Drew Brees. I'm a Drew Brees guy. I love him. I, I think he's an exciting player. What he's been able to accomplish statistically throughout his career is phenomenal. But guess what? He's another guy. Only one championship in all these years while being touted and putting up amazing numbers. Uh, I mentioned last week on the podcast, he had a stretch of three straight years where his total record was 21 and 27. But he was putting up crazy numbers. Why was he putting up crazy numbers? Because his team was getting smoked and he was trying to throw them back in games. I just, I think that you have to take context into things a lot when you are handing out these accolades. And I've said it time and time again, I think Dan Marino's better than Aaron Rodgers. I think John Elway's better than Aaron Rodgers. Like, I know these guys don't have the gaudy interception to uh, touchdown ratio numbers, but they played in an era where you could hit the quarterback and you could really, you know, be physical with receivers without getting called. So it's a lot harder to, you know, keep your interception rates low. And realistically, with John Elway's physical talent, can you imagine what that dude would be doing in today's NFL? Are you kidding me? Dan Marino? Dan Marino threw for over 5,000 yards in an era where that almost never happened, right? He was the only dude to do it for like 30 years. Now, put him in today's era where you can't hit the quarterback, you can't touch receivers. <laughs> that guy might throw for six and a half, seven thousand 7,000 yards in a season. I mean, we have to pay attention to how rules help people. Same thing, like I say, with basketball. But, you know, we just got to be cognizant of that stuff. And listen, we got to stop the hero worship of Aaron Rodgers, plain and simple. It's over the top and it's ridiculous. Um... Same thing with Drew Brees. We got to. I mean, at the end of the day, the sheer volume of Brees' passing numbers can't be ignored. But at the same time, you got to look at how much of that passing has come with success. Because the year that they won the championship, that was one of the top rushing teams in the NFL. So, you know, these are all things we got to look at. Wait a minute. One of the top rushing teams in the NFL. Run the ball. Stop the run. Sounds familiar. Anyway. So, finally, on the football front, I'm normally a solution-oriented guy, right? But I can't figure this one out, so I'll just kind of leave it here. And maybe you guys can figure something out and, and hit me up on social media and give me an idea. But when I was growing up, the Pro Bowl was still a pretty decent game. It wasn't glorified two-hand touch like it is now. Like It actually meant something to be a Pro Bowler outside, of course, of contract incentives. And it was it was a real football game. And um, now I just I don't know what it is. So I guess basically what I got to say about the Pro Bowl at this point is NFL, Roger Goodell, everybody else involved, fix the Pro Bowl or get rid of it. Plain and simple.
So as I mentioned in the intro, one of the greatest basketball players of all time died suddenly and tragically today. 18-time All-Star, number four all-time scorer in NBA history, Kobe Bryant was killed along with his 13-year-old daughter Gianna and three others when his helicopter crashed near Calabasas, California. Let's take a moment of silence for the Black Mamba. More talk on the Mamba coming up in the Bruce Breakdown. But here we go. More ammo for the uh, LeBron-centric fans and media to claim a faulty GOAT status. The Lakers lost Saturday night in Philly. But of course, you know, the loss doesn't matter because LeBron got his and that's all that they really care about. And the team wasn't the big story, obviously. LeBron James passed another milestone in a tremendously accomplished career. Notice the verbiage I'm using there, tremendously accomplished. He has done a whole hell of a lot, but it still doesn't make him gold in my book. But that's another argument for another day. Um, he passed Kobe Bryant to move into third all-time on the NBA scoring list. And he's now only behind the mailman Karl Malone and, of course, the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So a lot of people are going to use this accomplishment, and statistically it really is a great accomplishment. It speaks to LeBron's longevity and production. But here's my problem, and I'm sure I've talked about this before. Stats just don't tell the whole story. We know that, but a lot of people don't because they'll just start throwing stats at you when you try to point out anything. But anyway, I get that today's NBA is stat-driven. I get that statistics are historical measurement of what a player did when the memories of them on the floor and the people who actually watched them play aren't around anymore. The available footage from this era, though, will be better than any previous era of the NBA, and that's a good thing. But but let me tell you what the problem is, right? We know that footage can be manipulated. It can be cut up. It can be edited so that you see kind of what you want to see. And watching the highlights is not the same as actually seeing the games, right? Because, you know, you could if you didn't see Michael Jordan play in his era, you can say, oh, I've seen the highlights or whatever. But it's not the same as watching the things he could do in terms of the fundamentals, the moving without the ball, the, the getting in the defensive crouch and locking opposing players up, the footwork, the passing, all of those things, right? It's not the same. Yeah, the highlights are amazing, but it's not the same. So let me tell you what the stats and the highlights won't show when it comes to LeBron. They won't show how many times he ran from the defensive assignment or got cracked by the opposing wing when there was nowhere to run, i.e. 2008 against the Celtics when Paul Pierce handed him work, 2010 against the Celtics when Paul Pierce handed him work again and ran him out of Cleveland. But, you know, we like to forget about that when we make these LeBron James goat arguments. They also won't show how limited LeBron's offensive game was. How, even though he scores so many of his points within three feet of the basket, he's unable to consistently post up and score down low on the block. Number one, because he doesn't play effectively without the basketball. So he's not a guy that can give it up, go establish post position, get the ball back, and then score. Why? Because his footwork is loose. He doesn't have great footwork. And also, he doesn't have great post moves. That is what it is, right? 
the stats and the highlights won't show how much easier of an error defensively LeBron James played in. We talk about it ad nauseum, or at least I do, how the perimeter defense on the whole in the NBA, other than a few select players and teams, is weaker than it's ever been, and how the rim protection is absolutely horrendous for lack of great shot-blocking big men. It is what it is, but they won't show that. They won't show how few great rim protectors in their primes LeBron actually played against, right? When he was coming in the league, I think he came in uh, 03, he caught Dream right at the end of his career. If he if he played against Elijah Wan, the all-time leading shot blocker, he played against him for one season, and that was, you know, a pale shadow of his once great self in Toronto at the very end. Um, obviously, he never played against Mark Eaton. He never played against Kareem. He never played against... Uh, Dikembe Mutombo, um, David Robinson. He didn't have to go to the rim and see these guys waiting for him. Not Prime Shaq, not Prime Zoe, um, Alonzo Mourning. It's just, but you don't see that, right? So you see where I'm going here? I guess what I should be saying is, congrats, LeBron. You've had an amazing career. But for those of us who know, who are able to compare because we saw other errors, and who have the knowledge of basketball outside of stats and highlights, we can acknowledge the accomplishments, which are tremendous, while also seeing how they came about and being objective enough to mention the flaws. Is what it is. Um, the other team in Los Angeles is uh, big in the NBA news too right now. Uh, a story came out saying that there may be some tension in the Clippers locker room. Now, I think this is really interesting. It kind of makes some sense if it is true but i of course it's been denied obviously but if it's true it is interesting because one of the big issues is the quote-unquote load management schedule of Kawhi leonard and to some extent paul george how you know these guys uh, rarely if ever play the second half of back-to-backs uh they don't practice much um you know they they, they sit out a lot of times pretty much as they feel like it, you know, and also the fact that with all of that, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, to some extent, are not vocal leaders, right? So they're not leading physically. Yeah, when they get on the court, they're playing extremely well, but they're not leading physically, and as well, they're not vocal leaders. So that's problematic, right? Um, and so this is allegedly causing some friction in the Clippers locker room, which, of course, I said, they're downplaying, which it only makes sense you would, right? Why would you let people know, uh, air your dirty laundry, so to speak. But, you know, I think when we're going to see what it really is, is coming down to the wire in terms of uh, getting the postseason positioning down to the end of the regular season and, of course, once the postseason actually starts. So, you know, it, it's going to be good. We're going to see how it all plays out. And at the end of the day, if the Clippers can win a championship, this will be uh, Kawhi's second straight championship if they win this year. He likely would get finals MVP. The load management thing, no one can tell him anything because it would be playing out. Now, that said, the load management might be BS. I personally think it is. But at the same time, um, for those in the know, we're hearing like uh, Kawhi Leonard really does have a legitimate problem with his quadricep where that muscle doesn't quite fire properly the way it should. So, um he knows his body best, and uh, I guess they are handling it, and he is handling it how he thinks is best for maximum efficiency when it matters most. Because at the end of the day, that's where I always get on a guy like LeBron, maximum efficiency where it matters most, right? 
that is where, you know, it's a lazy argument, but that's where the separation comes from with a LeBron and a Kobe or a LeBron and a Jordan or what have you, right? The LeBron's upside-down record in the finals, there's just no excuse for that for a guy that you want to call the GOAT. But, again, uh, different story for a different day. Um, So the NBA All-Star game is coming in a few weeks, and normally right now I'd be kind of getting into talking about the selections and you know uh, the the West and the East and what I think about them and who's what where and how this so-called uh, all-star draft is going to go in terms of you know the two leading vote getters and the leading vote getters in each conference you know picking their team or what have you now all that's cool and you know basically just to drum up more interest in the all-star game I've also talked about how weak the slam dunk contest has gotten thank you LeBron and um you know how it used to be the banner event of all-star weekend but this all-star weekend obviously is going to be tremendously different because one of the game's great 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 all-time great players and ambassadors you know just recently died with with Kobe Bryant going down in the helicopter crash and so I was thinking about it you know there's going to be all sorts of uh tributes to to Kobe Bryant out there and Obviously, they're going to have a great video montage and tributes from great players past and present. They've already started doing that. But, you know, they're going to have more and more official ones that they're going to, I'm sure, air on the Jumbotron all throughout All-Star Weekend, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And for me, kind of what I think the biggest one should be is that the two conferences, the East or the West, it doesn't matter which, one conference, every player should wear number 24 and have their name on the back of their jersey and the opposite conference every player should wear number eight and have the name on their back of their jerseys obviously symbolizing numbers 24 and 8 the two numbers on his jersey that Kobe Bryant wore one for the first half of his career being number eight and then number uh, 24 for the second half of his career so that's what I think should be done probably to pay that homage to one of the greatest to ever do it Um, we'll, we'll see if that's how it ends up going. I gave you fair warning, beware. I gave you fair warning, beware. Before we get up out of here, you know what time it is. It's time for the Bruce. So there's no better topic for this week's Bruce Breakdown than the one and only Kobe Bryant, a.k.a. the Black Mamba. Normally, um, I try to map out the podcast, kind of make notes about what I want to say, do my research, talk about it, um, get it all in line so it kind of flows, keep it coherent uh, so, you know, I can kind of just sound good and not act like I'm winging it and, you know, really give it a, a professional look and tone and everything. But with the way things went today, um, for this Bruce breakdown, I'm just going to go off the top. Man. And Kobe Bean Bryant was amazing, absolutely amazing, plain and simple. And me, personally, I always called him MJ Light, being, you know, he was 75% of Michael Jordan. And I always said he is the closest that we will ever see to Michael Jordan in the NBA in terms of, and, you know, he talked about it during his lifetime, how much he emulated Mike, how he studied everything Mike did. You can see it in his game from the way he moved, the way he walked, 
the way he talked, chewed gum, uh, leaned over and held his shorts early in his career. Everything until he kind of, you know, halfway or a little more than that through, kind of started developing more of his own identity. But, you know, he mirrored Michael Jordan so much. And maybe that's part of the reason why he doesn't get the credit that he should for his just incredible level of greatness because he gets a lot of credit, especially um, among former players. Most former players will tell you they'll take Kobe over LeBron. And again, that's a totally different argument for another day. But, you know, that just shows you the respect with which he's held among that particular fraternity. Um, For me, what always amazed me about Kobe was the work ethic, right? And, you know, to get to that level, everybody's got to have work ethic. But I always say, you know, when me and my buddies talk about hoops or football or whatever, the true, true greats are separated because they have a different level of psychosis, a different level of competitive obsession, right? They used to say that Isaiah Thomas would stab you in your heart to win a basketball game. You hear, obviously, that's Isaiah Thomas from the Pistons, the bad boys, the the all-time great point guard. Um, You hear all the stories about Michael Jordan and what a psychopath on the court he was, how he would, you know, it was well known in in the uh, national anthem line if you were playing against him. Don't look him in the eye because he took it as a sign of disrespect and he would take it out on you. You know, the stories about him having heard Jeff Van Gundy while he was coaching the Knicks saying something in the media. So every time, you know, he scored during the game, he would stare Van Gundy down, running back down the floor. And when the game was over, as Van Gundy was leaving, going down the tunnel, Michael Jordan chased him down the tunnel screaming, take that, you little bitch. I mean, these guys were next level. We know about. Larry Bird and, you know, how the things that he would do to you, how he uh, allegedly, I don't know if it was Dr. J or not, but he would, he came into a game and he started counting backwards, I think from 40 something. And they couldn't figure out what he was doing until they said, well, that was the goal of how many points that he had set for himself that night to score. So the all-time greats just have a different level of psychosis and competitive obsession and Kobe Bryant was one of those guys who who had that. The work ethic is is legendary, you know, and that's why him and Shaq had problems between each other, um, you know, early in their careers because Kobe always felt like Shaq wasn't putting in the work to be even greater than he was. You know, he could have been, in Kobe's eyes, the greatest of all time, but he didn't want to put in the work. Meanwhile, Kobe was putting that work in. You know, you hear stories like, Kobe waking up early in the morning and taking a 40-mile bike ride out to the desert on the eve of a playoff game. You know, this is a playoff game, and he's riding his bike 40 miles out into the desert and coming back. You know, I, um, I can't remember who the player was, but the player said, you know, they were young in the league, and they, uh, I guess they were with the Lakers. They said, okay, uh, I heard Kobe gets in early, and I'm going to, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to beat him in. So, you know, the guy comes in there. Kobe's already dripping with sweat doing his workout. Guy gets up an hour earlier the next day, goes in. Kobe's already dripping with sweat working out. The guy gets up earlier that next day, goes in. He's uh, coming in and Kobe's coming out. Kobe had already been there, done his workout and was leaving already. You know, these are the, the stories of work ethic that you hear. Apparently, at one point, uh, Kobe called the, his trainer or something like that to the gym 
at 4 or 5 in the morning. The guy gets up and goes. Kobe says, hey, you know, I, I want to get these shots up, work out with me. So the guy works out for a couple hours with him and goes home. The guy comes back for shoot-around around 11 o'clock. Kobe is there. The guy asks Kobe, hey, what time did you, uh, you know, what time did you leave and get back? Kobe's like, huh? Oh, I never left. I wanted to make a thousand shots before I left. You know, this is is the type of next level psychosis, dedication, and obsession with greatness that Kobe Bryant had that just separated him and allowed him to truly maximize and squeeze every bit of ability and production out of the body that God gave him. And that's that's something truly amazing to me. Um, if you read or listen to the audiobook Showboat by Roland Lazenby uh, about Kobe's life, obviously, you know, written and completed and published well before he died. But, you know, it talks about even from the time when he was growing up in Italy and he was playing, he was telling people how great he was going to be and when he goes to the league and what he's going to do, you know. And so that mentality, the Mamba mentality, although he may not have called it that from, you know, such an early age, was was always there and you know the guy was just so relentless the total and complete skill set on both sides of the ball people don't see it that way because he was so single-minded in terms of dominating his matchup and scoring on every possible possession but when Kobe wanted to he could pass the ball that just wasn't the type of game that you know he wanted to play and also playing a good portion of his career in the triangle that doesn't necessarily facilitate high assist numbers as well because, you know, the constant ball movement and everybody making the pass and one player not monopolizing the ball. So that's something to think about as well. Um, another thing, just the absolute confidence in himself he had and the fearlessness. Like, you look at him missing, badly airballing shots, game-winning attempted shots in the playoffs as a rookie against Utah like he had no business taking those shots but he believed in himself and he really believed he was going to make those so he had to step up and take them you know that's a special player that's a, and not a lot of players have that you know you have the the fighting spirit what I what I like to call the warrior spirit you know there were multiple times when he nearly got into physical altercations with Shaq now most of us are thinking you know Shaq will rip your arms off and beat you to death with him. But Kobe, there was no fear. He was just that guy. Um, just the iron-willed belief in himself, his own skill set, and his own greatness was just so phenomenal. I mean, I read an article talking about, again, Kobe's work ethic. And there was something said about him after a hard practice. He grabbed one of his teammates and for the next hour, this is already after, you know, a two, three-hour practice. He grabbed his teammate, and he made this teammate defend the same move over and over again for a full hour because he wanted to master that move. That was the type of guy and the type of player that Kobe Bryant was. I don't know. There's not too many that you would take above that, and that's why... Even as a diehard Boston Celtics fan, I so respect who this guy was as a player, what he was able to do, and, and also his obsession to find a way to beat you. You know, in 2010, the Celtics were playing and got to a Game 7 in the finals against the Lakers, and I think Kobe was 6-for-20 from the field that game. Couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, but he found a way to beat you and contribute by pulling down 15 rebounds from the shooting guard spot. 
Like, he was going to find a way to beat you, and not a lot of players and not a lot of people possess that special thing. Um, I know I kind of rambled on here, but this is just off the top of my mind, and um, I just want to pay homage as best I can to one of the greatest to ever lace him up, a guy who a lot of times gets overlooked because of the fact that we saw MJ and then he was MJ Light and now seeing LeBron, a different kind of player, doing what he's doing. Um, I think Kobe doesn't necessarily get the respect among the masses that is due. Maybe that'll come now. A lot of times that comes, unfortunately, in death, but, you know, maybe it will. Anyway, um, I guess to wrap all that up, in short, Kobe Bryant was everything that you want in a basketball player. And what else is there left to say except Mamba out. So that's it for this uh, Bruce breakdown. Kind of heart-wrenching one there. And uh, that's it for this episode of the Format Podcast, number 53. I know it was kind of short, but uh, bear with me. Obviously, uh, I didn't talk any college football because college football season is over. And right now, you know, I can take a little bit of a break from it. You know, as things pop up and, you know, interesting news bits and uh, tidbits and uh, things come up in, in, in regards to the college football world, I can touch on those. So we'll, we'll see in the future what we can talk about in regards to that. But, um, yeah, thank you for tuning in. If you're a returning listener, as always, I appreciate you. Thanks for uh, checking me out, supporting the pod. Um, if you're a new listener, um, sorry that uh, you had to make today this sad day um, your very first listener to the Format Podcast. But with that, um, I, I hope that I gave you some things to think about. Hope I entertained you just a little bit and I uh, hope I didn't bore you to death. And, uh, you know, uh, again, thank you for taking your time out to listen. I hope you'll come back. If you enjoy the pod, if you enjoyed the pod, um, please uh, don't don't keep it to yourself. Share it. Let's let's get it out there to as many people as possible. Um, let's continue to make the podcast grow. Again, we're on episode 53, so that's awesome. You know, we're well over a year now that we've been doing this, and I'm very thankful and blessed that slowly but surely the listenership is growing. So, you know, keep continuing to spread it. I really appreciate that. Also, you can catch me on social media on Twitter at Bruce F.A. Hope. That's at Bruce F.A. Hope. You can catch me on Instagram at The Format Podcast, at The Format Podcast. Uh, you can hit me up. Tell me if you like the pod. Hopefully you do. Um, if you hate it, that's cool. If you think I'm the biggest idiot in the world, that's cool, too. Just tell me why. We can debate that. Um, if you have suggestions on topics to, to discuss in future episodes, uh, leave those with me, and we'll definitely try to address those. If you have questions that you want me to address, leave those with me. I'll definitely try to do that. Um, uh, if you want to tell me where I was right, tell me where I was wrong. If you just want to kick it, I'm cool with all that. Uh, you just want to shoot the breeze with me. That's great. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. I just enjoy the interaction. Okay. So, um, again, thank you for, uh, for hanging out with me. Thank you for joining me. And until next week, I'm out. Peace.
just as warm as the sun, and I hold you so close in my
家。